What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark Devoe, and we'd like to thank all of the people that support this podcast. Very Every single person who's supported this show as a patron or as a member of the Bestseller Academy, we salute you all. Thank you so much. And if you would like to be part of that merry band, pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support to find out all the incredible goodies you can get, extra goodies, deep dives, all kinds of fantastic community things by being a part of this show. So thanks so much, Mr. Stay. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Talking about deep dives, we've got a deep dive out there on forensics, which is worth a year's subscription on its own, frankly. Mm. Uh, we've got, you know, so do do check that out. We've got some amazing deep dives recently. We had a great one on TikTok. Uh, we've got hundreds of hours of extra material out there, so do check yeah, it there's out. there's a brilliant one on ADHD, and forensics yes. is definitely for people who love a bit of crime and thriller writing. Yeah, it's terrific. Fantastic really, really stuff. So, Mr. Stay, how are you finding these uh, long... Long winter, winter evenings that are slowly drawing in. Well, I I write first thing in the morning, um, you know, so seven thirty. So it's it's getting darker, it's getting colder, it's getting much more difficult to get out of bed in the first place because you, know, you, you stick a towel out. Oh, it's cold. I'm not going out there, you know. So it's some motivation. Certainly, you know, up here in the northern hemisphere, motivation is um, it's, it's tricky at the moment, you know. So that that thing of that we've always talked about building habits, showing up, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, I'm motivated because I've got to turn an edit in soon, you know. I, I owe a book, so I don't have any choice, you know. Um, but once once I'm up, once I've got a cup of tea, and I'm in I'm in place in that desk just there to the right. Um, it's uh, it's all good, but yeah, it's just getting over that bump first thing in the morning. It's and it's and it's also that shift from the lovely, beautiful, warm summer's days to mm. the drawing in yeah. of autumn or fall, as yeah. as we call it over here. And uh, I, I just want to say thank you to all of our friends down south. Uh, you know, down under, uh, my daughter's over there right now, telling me that it's thirty two degrees and balmy in Brisbane. <laughs> and I'm thinking, thanks so much for that. I really appreciate that. No, we, we're not. We're not jealous at all. But you know what? It's interesting. I had a conversation with someone the other day about this exact thing. And from a creative standpoint, there's also a real benefit to those 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 rainy, cloudy days and evenings. And that is that. You're not sitting there bashing away, firstly, in 32 degree heat, which is not very fun. But secondly, <laughs> and every writer knows this, you don't feel quite as guilty writing when the weather's absolutely appalling than when you're sitting in your, in your you know, sauna of a, of a writing area <laughs> and it's beautiful weather and you think, I should be out in the garden. I should be in the park with the kids. I should be down at the beach or whatever it might be for you. And so I, I tend to find that people get their best work done during these kind of like... Um, these times of year because 
uh, you can be kind of more indulgent and you can, you, you, you know that you're not missing out. And that's the thing I always struggle with in spring and summer. I always want to be outside. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, the thing is, if I go outside in the summer, I get sunburn after five minutes. So I tend to stay inside during the summer as well. <laughs> you know, I, know, I get what you mean. No, yeah, it's uh, there is something. I, I wonder if that's why NaNoWriMo is in November. Did we ever ask him that? If that's why, because it is, I wonder, you know. Maybe because like Fabo, Famo Rimo or Jano Rimo. <laughs> I don't know. Dano Rimo didn't work quite as well. But no. uh, but they think about like not going outside. I was just wondering. That's a great, you know, you know, light and the rest of it. You should you should think up a horror novel, like base a <laughs> character around that. That could really work. That could really work. It's been anyway. Done. Let's oh, <laughs> let's dive into our incredible interview this week. Uh, tell us about our special guest this week, Mark Alan Goravan. Alan Goravan, uh, I, I love speaking to Alan. He was such good fun. He's an Irish thriller writer, and he's also uh, an, an intellectual property attorney, but he's also winner of the Irish Writers' Centre Novel Competition. And this, he had a pretty extraordinary year in uh, 2020 during lockdown. You know, so he's someone who was sort of biding his time as a writer. He was about to publish some stuff, and then lockdown happened. And then he managed to publish seven books in 2020 alone, three novels, three novellas, and a collection of short stories. And it's like a, key, a career in a year. It's an incredible story. So we, we talk about that. We talk about revisiting old books and rewriting them. We talk about meeting reader expectations. And of course, we talk about how he released seven books in 2020 alone. Brilliant. So let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with the prolific releaser, <laughs> Alan Gorovan. Alan Garvin, welcome to the Best Sell Experiment. How are you today, sir? I'm very good, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's a kind of a rainy day in Dublin, but I've banked some words this morning, so I'm very happy. That's a good day indeed. Yet yeah, the sky's here. They've suddenly turned dark, and I'm expecting some horsemen of the apocalypse to appear on the horizon. It's pretty, <laughs> it was beautifully sunny. But anyway, enough of the weather. We always end up talking about the weather on these bloody things. Um, <laughs> you were introduced to me by our mutual friend, uh, Aves Khan, who's been a guest on the show. Aves seems to know everyone in the industry uh, when he was in London recently. He does indeed. Yeah, I, I, I went to a launch party. I said, oh, it'd be good. You know, you might meet some people. He walks through the door like six people knew him immediately. But while we were spending the day, he said, he said you've got to get Alan on the show because Alan uh, had an extraordinary uh, lockdown year. And that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, uh, but also we'll, we'll talk about where it started and what have you. But 2019, you know, you've been biding your time as a writer. You've been perfecting your craft. You you finished books, looked at them, decided they're not quite good enough, but, you know, onwards, upwards, you keep writing, you're doing better and better. And then you think you've got, ah, you know, I've got this book. I think it's got good enough. Let's go out to agents and publishers. And then... 2020 happens and exactly this is, <laughs> this is here many of us would like to confine to the past but uh tell us tell us what happened next well i suppose it's exactly like you said i was i had this book that i've been working on for so long and i felt like i my writing had finally achieved a, a certain publishable level after i don't know discarding a dozen or two dozen not very good novels over the years and taking innumerable classes and everything and courses and workshops and tutorials and uh, all this. So, yeah, when I, w I was nearly finished it when the whole pandemic kicked in. <laughs> and uh, I think like a lot of people then, um, 
everyone kind of found ways to deal with it. And I was kind of thinking, all right, I'm not going to sit around waiting for publishers or agents. I'm not going to submit it now because I think kind of my patience had dropped once the pandemic set in. I was kind of feeling like I didn't have the patience to wait, you know, six months or a year for Word. So that's when I started thinking about the whole self-publishing thing, which I kind of shied away from in the past because I, like a lot of people, I, I wasn't, I kind of wanted to go down the traditional route. So yeah, 2020, I thought, um, you know, I'm not going to wait for a publisher. I'm going to release something. And I didn't start with that book that I, the long book that I've been working on for ages. I started with some short stories and uh, kind of eased into it that way. Well, you say you say eased into it. Let's break this down. So, twenty uh, twenty, you published seven books in twenty twenty alone. So you got three novels, <laughs> three novellas, and a collection of short stories. So I, I want to. It's it sort of th- from April through to September, I think. So let me let correct me if I get any of this wrong. So you start with Hit and Run, which is a novella, but you don't publish that straight away. But in April. You published The Forbidden Room, and then in April you got The Hostage. Then in May, Hit and Run is released after some editing. And then in June, there's Out of Nowhere, uh, which had been rejected, but you rewrote it. In July, there's a short story collection called Dark Tales. In September, there's Better Confess. Actually, in (laughs) Halloween, you've got a short story called The Last Train. And then there's The Kindness of Psychopaths. So let's rewind. Let's go back to the beginning, because this is is fascinating to me. I mean, you know, it's it's incredible output. Um, And getting the most amazing reviews and success as well. So let's go back to Hit and Run, which was a novella that you didn't publish it straight away. You, you, that was kind of your, if I'm reading this right, your your first sort of 2020 bit of completed fiction. Yeah, so I completed it. And um, for that one, I actually sought some feedback from another writer. And um, they gave me some good feedback. I think I was still kind of... Uh, wrestling with the idea of releasing something without it going through a gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of writers will kind of relate to that kind of confidence issue. Um, You know, you're releasing something directly to readers when you're self-publishing. So how do you know if it's any good? Mm -hmm. So for Hit and Run, I got some feedback on it. And I kind of, I sat on it for a few months then. And while I wrote The Forbidden Room and The Hostage, and then I looked at it again, few months later and just made some tweaks and released it um after releasing the other two novellas first i I think my confidence was growing that you know nothing terrible had happened since i'd released them no one had come and shot me for being a bad writer so (laughs) what difference did it make you know you can release stuff and see how it goes Uh, yeah so i was kind of adopting this philosophy more of you know write something and release it i think that's quite good practice <laughs> the confidence thing is um is a huge barrier to overcome isn't it particularly if it's the first time you're putting something out there because without i know i know we talk, talk about gatekeepers but i i like to also think of editors and publishers as enablers uh, they are the ones who say yeah you've you know you've worked on this it's, it's it's ready to go and but if you don't have someone like that to give you a bit of objective point of view um, it is kind of terrifying. So what was the thing that made you think, oh, sorry, I'm going to do it anyway? What was the thing that made you think it's ready? Um, I think I kind of started to accept this idea that, um, you know, a book doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> yeah. You know, this perfection 
uh, obsession is kind of another one of those things that stand in the way of a lot of writers. You know, every word has to be perfect. Every, you know, got to look at, examine every comma. And I'm certainly all for doing the absolute best job I can. But I really think when you've written something and you've looked at it and you're satisfied with it, it's really time to move on. <laughs> you mm. know, I'm not, I'm not really one to, I don't want to hold on to a book and tweak it for 10 years because mm. you can, you can do that <laughs> and oh. you'll probably be making the book worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we've, we've had authors on before who've done exactly that and look back on it with, <laughs> with considerable regret. So the first uh, title that was released was, if I'm right, the Forbidden Room, which is a novella, and you're, you yeah. know, you're a thriller writer. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us about the Forbidden Room, and tell us about how it came about. And was it written in a rush? Was it kind of a down and dirty? Let's get it out there, or had it been sitting on the back burner for a while? Those, yeah, the Forbidden Room. I wrote it quickly, a couple of months, um, including you know editing and wow. proofreading, and I don't know, two or three months or. I don't know, two months. It's all a blur now, <laughs> um, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's all a blur. I, I wrote it quickly. And um, it was based on, I did it. I went on a trip to the west of Ireland, to uh, West Cork, a kind of remote region a few years ago. Uh, I went there and it was like this uh, meditation center on the cliffs. And <laughs> I didn't do a lot of meditating, but I was thinking, this is a cool place for a thriller. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, there's some, you know, this is an interesting session and there's some strange people and this would be cool. <laughs> so yeah, in my, in my novella then, so I, I have a couple who were taking a romantic break and their car breaks down and this region is really quite rough. It's, it's cliffy, it's remote, it's, uh, you know, it's stormy. It's, uh, if you get stuck there, you could really be quite stuck. So, uh, so these, this couple go to the nearest house and the the rest of the story is really about what happens there they they go into a kind of um a strange situation they interrupt uh yeah something a bit unusual <laughs> that is such classic author behavior you're supposed to be going somewhere to meditate and become one <laughs> with the universe and you're sitting there going no oh, no people could be murdered here oh, yeah this is great absolutely um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well it paid off obviously and so then uh also in april You've got the hostage. Tell tell us about the hostage and where and where that came from. Yeah, so this was another one loosely inspired by uh, real events, where um, a young woman is at home when uh, she sees a like a the Irish version of a SWAT team, like there's an, an armed response unit sort of uh, coming over her garden wall, machine guns out uh, chasing someone, and uh, <laughs> so there's a someone on the run who um, forces their way into this this young woman's home and once they're in that's kind of yeah they she realizes that she shouldn't have let them in and she's in a, a lot of trouble now it's another kind of i guess it's another kind of classic thrillery kind of scenario um but yeah i do like to get the action going straight away <laughs> so that's the start of it and yeah that goes from there so that's hostage is the second novella published yeah and then uh in may You've got Hit and Run, the third yeah. novella. And so that you'd, you'd come back to this. This was the one that you thought, okay, this isn't quite ready. You don't publish it straight away. After Forbidden Room and The Hostage, we talked about the confidence thing. You've got the confidence to put stuff out there, knowing that a novel can't be perfect. What had you learned from The Forbidden Room and The Hostage at this point that made you think, okay, Hit and Run, let's go? 
basically cut all the bits that aren't interesting was my interesting to me if I was I kind of reread it as a reader and cut out everything that I didn't find particularly interesting uh I think now I'm more ruthless in writing when I write a scene I I write a scene that has to be there and that's something's happening in and I really hate filler or slow yeah slow books marked as thrillers that aren't actually thrillers um so I think I I reread Hit and Run with that kind of view um tightening it up and then I thought yep (laughs) let's just release it get it out there and see what people think and just on the the practical side of things uh, in terms of putting your books out there the the cover art the you know oh, what, yeah. were, what what were you learning about that kind of stuff so writing copy were were there were there any little hints and tips that you were picking up along the way god yeah so yeah i mean during those months i was i was really immersing myself in all that stuff too there's so many questions when you go to self publish a book um I know you had Patricia Gibney talking about this too when <clears throat> she looked into self-publishing and there's a lot to learn. There's a very steep learning curve mm-hmm. from formatting the manuscript for Amazon, forming it for Smashwords, formatting it for Google. You know, they all have different requirements and um, how do you design a cover? How do you take the ebook cover and turn it into a paperback cover? And how do you, mm-hmm. you know, all these kind of things. There's a lot to learn, but it's also quite interesting. And once you get a kind of a hang on it once i'd done the first few i think it became easier with every release it kind of got a bit faster (laughs) it didn't take me the weeks or days or weeks that had taken for the first one (laughs) but again was that a question of um you're talking about with uh hit and run you you know you're cutting away all the excess fat there you you do you apply that as much to your copy as well your description copy are you were you finding okay let's not be precious about this this is a thriller designed to thrill let's go straight down the line was was that the sort of thing you were learning absolutely yeah everything was focused on that sort of like with the the covers and the titles and the copy it was all like does this say thriller (laughs) hit and run says thriller you know the hostage says thriller the forbidden room kind of mystery thriller kind of thing you know, does the cover art suggest the right genre? Um, yeah, I think marketing the book in the right genre, making sure it actually hits reader expectations for the genre is important. Even though I'm self-publishing, though, I can I can write whatever I want, but I don't want to disappoint readers. So I want to be very clear what I'm what I'm giving to them and yeah. deliver what I promise. Yeah, absolutely. And talking about the marketing side of things, are you doing? Amazon ads, Facebook ads, newsletters, are you building that kind of stuff in the background as well? Yeah, I experimented with mixed results in terms of uh, paid advertising. I don't think I've quite cracked that yet. I did try it, but <laughs> yeah, I made sales, but I was paying for those sales. You know, I was spending more yeah. on sales than I was getting, so I, I haven't cracked that yet. Um, social media was really the the main thing for me. I do have a, yeah, I I mean, I get people signing up to my newsletter, but I only really um, at the moment would release a newsletter when I have something to say, like a new release or something. So it's not a very regular thing. So at the moment, it's social media, really. Excellent. Okay. And then in June, June, you publish Out of Nowhere, which was a novel that had been rejected in the past. So what brought you back to that? And what did you discover when you came back to that novel? And was it 
in a publishable form or did you have to make changes? Yeah, so uh, this was a novel that I had written a few years earlier and it had won a prize here and got me my first agent, uh, but it ended up not being published. And so I had the manuscript sitting there. So in June, I thought, hmm, maybe it's worth a, a look just to see if it's worth releasing or not. Um, so I looked at it again. And I thought, wow, this is very wordy and the pacing is really terrible. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I could see why it had failed as a thriller. It, it was far too slow. You know, you had all these long compound sentences that, you know, might belong in literary fiction, but not in a thriller. Right. Um, so I probably deleted about half of the manuscript and um, I thought the story was still good enough. I thought it was still an entertaining story. And if I cut some of the flab, it was, it would, you know, it would be an entertaining read maybe. So I did that and I thought, yeah, I'll release that and see what people think. So, I mean, it was better than it just sitting there for, for not doing nothing. <laughs> I mean, why not? I put a lot of work into it and I, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I love this attitude. Let's put it out there and see what people think. Cause for a lot of people, yeah. you know, publishing a book, it's the single most terrified experience of their writing career, but now let's put it out there and see what happens. Now this is all happening during lockdown. Uh, like many of us, I imagine, you know, you're confined to your home. Was was mm. writing your all and everything? Was was that your main focus? What was your day looking like during lockdown in order to produce this this amount of uh, of of uh, content? Yeah, I mean, during those sort of um, early months, it really was. I wasn't working at my day job, so I had more time, and I wasn't really going out that much. So it really was the writing, the editing, the you know the technical side of self-publishing that was really occupying my my days at that time so that probably explains the uh the output for <laughs> that period yeah well i mean this is the thing i think we're, we're gonna see a few stories like yours uh alan where people took advantage of of what was an extraordinary kind of pause in yes. you know the the everyday life and and did something with it so uh, anyway, to continue because we're not we're not nowhere near the end yet. This is you know this is only June, <laughs> so you've you've published out of nowhere. Now up to now everything has been a novella. Uh, this is your first novel. Uh, what was the reaction to that like? Were readers kind of yes, great, more, and give us more? What was the reaction to out of nowhere? Was it different to what had come before? It wasn't really different. It was um, I suppose over those first releases it was. Um, you know, with each release, I would maybe approach one or two bloggers. So it was quite a gentle start. <laughs> and I would have, you know, a few people uh, review it and read it. And with each release, it was, you know, a few more would discover me. You know, some people would read The Forbidden Room and they'd like it and they'd, they'd buy the next one. And um, so it was quite a gradual thing. But in a way, that was better than having some massive launch because there was no there was no shock of um you know there was no anxiety about will people like it or not or right. will it sell or not i wasn't expecting it to sell <laughs> so right. i mean i was just writing and releasing and not really thinking about that other side of it that much um so it was it was quite a comfortable beginning gradually building a readership very gradually <laughs> yeah yeah but momentum is building momentum is building it was building yeah yeah because i think yeah i mean you're building a backlog uh, a back catalog you're the more titles you have out there the more chance there is of people discovering you 
Yes, well, let, you're no slacker there, Alan. Um, so then in July, you've got the Dark Tales short story collection. And also in July, you put your novellas into an anthology called the Thriller Collection. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, tell, tell us about that. Quite a busy July. Yeah, uh, I had written a few stories and I was thinking it would be a good idea to collect them um, in one volume because I knew... I know I had a few readers who didn't read digitally, uh, and I, the stories were released just, uh, you know, for a pound on Amazon separately. But yeah, I thought I'll put them in together in a collection, and um, people can enjoy them. And again, with the novellas, I thought, uh, you know, some people might not want to buy just one novella, so I'll put the three of them together, and uh, you know, it's a nice little volume with three different stories in it. And has that? Has that worked? Is it one of those things where you've discovered, you know, people have, have latched onto that? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. You know, people have different favourites and people have different preferences regarding the length of the work they want to read. Some people really like the stories. Yeah, so it's a mixed bag. Cool. Then in September, you've got Better Confess, which, uh, again, that's a novel. So uh, tell us how that one was received as well. That one, I think, was probably better received than anything before it. It was a brand new one, and and again, I wrote it quite quickly. And um, yeah, I think probably being a novel that I had a bit more room to develop the characters and the tale. But again, publishing it myself, I had control over the length. I didn't have to stretch it out to 90,000 words or whatever the publisher wanted. So it was quite a short novel. but it was the right length for the story. And yeah, I think that's the most popular thing I'd released up to that point and got the best reviews. Cool. And that, then you've got a, a short story in Halloween called The Last Train, uh, which, yeah. tell us about that. Uh, yeah, I got my first little Amazon orange badge for that. So that was nice, nice uh, on Halloween. <laughs> Not that I sold a lot, but enough to get a little badge, which was lovely. <laughs> and uh and that was one I actually gave away uh, to my subscribers for free on Halloween. And it still managed to get a little orange badge from people who were kind enough to buy it. So that was lovely. And I'll probably have to write a few more stories and then I can release it in a, a paperback too. Yeah, yeah. But then then comes The Kindness of Psychopaths, which, uh, f- as I can see, is the biggie. This is, This feels like the big, what everything has been leading up to. And that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's your uh, full-length novel. It really capped off the year, and it seems to have got the most amazing reviews. So had this one, again, had this been sort of building throughout the years? Is this something you've been – or is it another one that you kind of did very quickly? Tell us about The Kindness of Psychopaths. So this was the one that I had actually been working on for a while when uh, the pandemic hit. So I'd already done a lot of um, – research on this one because it was it was my first kind of cop novel the main character is a a detective here in dublin and thankfully i completed all the research before lockdown happened so right yeah (laughs) i'd I'd met cops and i'd met prison officers and i'd talked to lots of people and i'd done all the research so book was largely done when lockdown happened but i wasn't quite happy with it so after Actually, while I was writing Better Confess, I also was looking at the kindness of psychopaths and and uh during the months after that, kind of October uh, 2020. 
And yeah, I, I think I finally just kind of um, pulled it together, tightened it up a little and pulled it together. It's still 94,000 words, but <laughs> it, that was just the length required to tell this story because it was kind of complex. Now, this, as I said, this came out end of November 2020 and really capped off yes. the year for you. Was there a feeling that this was different to the others, that it was a step up from the others? Were, were readers, had you built up a kind of a reader base by then? Is that what this had all been leading to? Absolutely, yeah. I really did feel like that. It was much more ambitious than anything I'd released before. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, yeah, it, was, it definitely felt like a step up. And um, and I arranged a proper blog tour, and it's got a lot more attention than the other books. So I'm, I'm delighted with the way it's been received. As you say, it has got, uh, you know, gone down well with readers, thank goodness. Do you think you'd have got the same attention if you hadn't done those other books in the year? Or do you think that by doing the novellas and the short stories and, you know, learning all kinds of aspects of self-publishing, uh, do you think it would have been the same? I think not, maybe. And I'm glad that it happened the way it did. Um, you know, it was quite a, uh, you know, it was a good learning curve. And I'm glad I started with short things and progressed to a larger project. It, it I think it worked out well that way. And then you, you uh, now I'm not sure of the time timing of, of this, but you got the Sharjah International Book Fair in the United Arab Emirates, which is an you know incredible book fair. Um, I think that was through our mutual friend again, Aves Khan, that got you involved in that. That's extra. That's extraordinary. You know, platform to to get your your you know your your work out there. Tell us about that and what that experience was like. Yeah, so that was quite amazing. I mean, I. You would be expecting that your first in-person author event might be signing one, two copies of your yeah. book at the a local, local bookshop. Book yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the that's the classic story. Like uh, I think Dan Brown, you know, talks about that going doing his first book signing, and the only person who approached his desk was to a oh, lady looking for the toilets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. completely ignored. <laughs> Wasn't interested in him at all. <laughs> so. Yeah, so to be invited to, to Sharjah was um, amazing. And it was a, yeah, I mean, it's the, book, it's the biggest book fair in the world. So it was a huge, huge thing. And uh, it gave me a chance to talk about thrillers with writers from around the world. So that was very interesting. Uh, did a school visit <laughs> to some <laughs> confused the class of confused teenagers (laughs) (laughs) who know all about my books now (laughs) right was that all was that all arranged uh via the fair yeah yeah. exactly yeah it's kind of part of their outreach program so yeah it was an an amazing experience and it was great to uh leave the country because that was my first traveling since uh the pandemic hit so it was amazing to to be able to go somewhere again and to be able to go somewhere and do such a thing again (laughs) or to do such a thing for the first time. I mean, it was amazing. That is, it is an extraordinary year. I'd like to go back to where it all started with you because as I understand it, you started by writing comic books and then trying to sell them to your neighbors. So you always had a commercial instinct. Tell us about that. (laughs) That's very true. Yeah. I I did try and flog them to my poor neighbors uh, (laughs) many times. (laughs) Uh, 
I was a big fan of the sort of the Judge Dredd comics, the 2008 when I was younger, that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, produced some shamefully derivative stories of my own. And poor, poor people on my street were <laughs> offered them up for God knows what, a pound probably back then. <laughs> 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 but, you know, uh, I, I had family who were supportive and uh, of my literary meanderings and you know uh parents who took me to the library regularly when i was younger so it was all it was encouraged good well that, that yeah well that makes a huge difference doesn't it it really does you know having someone yeah. who you know just says yeah keep going keep going as i understand it as well this this phase of your career the the thriller writing phase of your career was inspired by a money back guarantee on the cover of a lee child book tell, tell us about that Absolutely. I mean, can you imagine it? I haven't seen that since then. <laughs> but when I was a teenager, uh, I was in an airport and I saw Killing Floor by Lee Child. I think it had just been released. Mm. And it said something like, as good as John Grisham or your money back on the yeah. cover. I thought, wow, I had read some John Grisham. And yeah, back then I was reading a lot of kind of Tom Clancy and John Grisham and Trisha Cornwell and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, wow, a money back guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as if I was ever going to cash it in but uh i loved that confidence and as soon as i started reading the book i loved i love lee child i love jack reacher and um yeah i mean lee child would be a biggish influence on me i've enjoyed his books in the years since then for sure where were you in your sort of you say you're a teenager was was this the point where you thought okay no more judge dread comics it's thrillers for me is that, <laughs> is that was that a turning point for you Actually, I was probably still reading, you know, um, Dostoevsky and Poe and stuff like that at that stage. But it, it, it clicked <laughs> in later. I, I, I mean, I spent so many years studying classics and forcing myself to read classics. And thrillers were the genre I had loved. Um, I kind of went away from them for a few years and then came back with a new appreciation later. And that's when I thought of Lee Child again and started reading Lee Child again and, and reading lots of other authors. So, yeah. Okay, that's interesting because if you're reading Dostoevsky and you're writing thrillers, I can see perhaps why when you come back to those thrillers, you're going, yeah, there's a lot of florid language here that might not be right for the thriller market. Yeah, was that was Absolutely. That yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be so careful um, what you're reading, um, you know, in the sense of it influencing you. Mm. And you cannot go around writing like Dostoevsky today, <laughs> no. especially not in the thriller market. No, no. It's, uh, but, you know... Is there anything we can learn from Dostoevsky and Poe? Is there anything that you still get inspired by with those great writers? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm happy to read all kinds of things um, because even though I'm saying be careful what you read, I, you know, once you're starting to develop your own style, I think it's not a major issue. I enjoy reading all kinds of books, um, and I think it's good to read outside the genre and know what what other people are writing and doing, and it's always inspiring. Excellent stuff. Now, we're recording this the end of June uh, 2022. This is coming out a bit later than that. Um, there's been nothing since the kindness of psychopaths. What's been happening and what's what's coming next? Right. So I have written uh, lots of stuff since then. Um, so last year, I got an agent. I signed up with Annette Crossland today for authors. So I have a book on submission at the moment. and waiting kind of to see what happens with that and i've 
kind of got two books, one book nearly finished and then well into another book. So there will be more for sure. 2021 was kind of a, almost like a gap year in terms of releases, but not writing. Right, <laughs> I've been yeah. writing away. So yeah, people can definitely expect to see more from me in the near future. Fantastic stuff, Alan. We really, really look uh, look forward to it. And thank you so much for sharing that extraordinary year with us. I think it's going to inspire a lot of people and can't wait to see what, you, what, what comes next. So Alan, thanks so much. I hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you so much, Mark. Pleasure to be here. That is one of the most incredible stories I've heard. I don't think you know, on, on the many years now of doing this podcast, I don't think I've ever heard of someone who's released so much material in such a short period of time. We've had a couple. We have had a couple. I can't remember the names at the moment, but I mean, it's it's something you, I mean, it was one of the big advantages of being an indie author is is that you can, you know, if you've got stuff stored up, pent up, waiting to go out, you can't, you know, you're not beholden to those sort of retailer schedules that, sl- that slows down traditional publishing. Um, but that was extraordinary. It is What I love about Alan is he's releasing them and he's learning from each one learning something from each one and then applying those lessons to the next book that comes along. Yeah. And I, I, it's really good to hear Alan remind us that a book does not have to be perfect because I think one of the biggest reasons why people don't release something is their book isn't yet perfect. And it's interesting kind of like continuation from our extended uh, podcast last week, where we were talking about the idea of perfection and how it it holds people back. But Mm -hmm. This is a real struggle that a lot of authors go through, creatives. I mean, we're all, we all want to create the perfect piece of work. We want it to be the very best representation of ourselves. But that really, you know, it sounds like Alan kind of broke through the duct and then the dam burst and <laughs> everything came pouring out in terms of releasing. Yeah, you know, you've got books, you know, two books in April, a book in May, a book in June, a book in July, a book in September, then a Halloween short story, and then his big novel, The Kindness of Psychopaths. But you know, his philosophy is write something and release it. There's no point, you know, I can see there's no point sitting on it thinking, okay, if I, you know, if, if, if I let it sit here, it might become something else in the meantime. And so, but I think what's important is he was learning something from each one of these releases. He's figuring out what works and what doesn't. So when he gets to his novel, then it, you know, that's when he gets his, uh, his, his, you know, his bestseller uh, flag. So, yeah, it's it's a fascinating um, journey, and like I say, it's like a career in a year. You know, you sit, there are there are people, you know, professional novelists who've never, you know, released that many books. So, um, yeah, it's a it's it's fascinating microcosm of of publishing. Now, I want to go back and talk about Alan's youth, not his youth so much, but. <laughs> His early days of book selling, which started off, sounded a bit like a door-to-door salesman, like selling selling the equivalent of an encyclopedia in, in a very short story format. This is fascinating. And I think there's a lot of untold stories about people selling things to neighbours. <laughs> yeah. I mean, selling comic books to neighbours, that's a brilliant, brilliant start. I mean, it shows... You know, it shows a bit of uh, sort of entrepreneurial savvy there. But um, yeah, did... I? Did you ever sell things tonight? I I did. I we um where I lived, we had an apple tree, and so myself and my cousin we gathered up all the windfall apples and tried selling them to neighbours. I think we made a pound. I think a little old lady took pity on us and we got a pound out of her. So it was hardly um hardly uh you know Amazon. <laughs> 
you know what I've got something something brilliant the other day um my daughter needed uh there was a certain birthday coming up in the family and and uh uh she she'd spent all her pocket money and so she needed to get hold of money right how do you do that well and what she ended up doing I got a phone call one afternoon um when I was out and about she said dad never guess what I just did I said what'd you do she said I baked 30 big chocolate chip cookies I I walked she's she's like 13 13 and I, I walked down to to, to the neighbor's house and I've made thirty dollars. I'm like, wow. Good on you. And she said, and you know what? The strategy I used, Dad, is I stood out, I went past everyone's house. She's a devote. She's a devote. <laughs> totally. All through and through. She said, I went past everyone's house. This is brilliant. And she said, I looked for chalk drawings on the driveway. And I knew that's where the kids lived. So I went and banged on their door and the kids opened the door and then giggled, guilted their parents into buying one of these warm cookies. I thought, oh, genius. You, that is, that is absolutely, you are set for life, mate. I don't know what no, she's going to do. I think I'm just going to say, right, you get, I'll buy the ingredients. <laughs> but like, but when we talk about like filtering your audience, you know, we talk about it in the books, like how do you find your, your audience? I mean, that, there's a great example there. Brilliant. It's not brilliant. But the thing, the story that I had when I was, my mum always tells me this, I don't remember it of course and i i i don't ever remember doing this but my mum absolutely 100 she said well, she had this little tin um of these sweets so anyone who ever grew up in germany you'll know these they're called pulmul and they're like these um licorice sweets that are good for when you've got like a you know lozenge when you need a bit right, of a, right. this, uh, uh, you've got a bad throat and there were these lovely little red tins that i, I love to keep keep these little tins and one day my mum went to Sainsbury's and she bought um, a bag of cherries, big bag of cherries. And I, I, I discovered that it, you know, I asked, was asking mum, I was curious about like pips and what, what's a pip? And she would explain to me as a four or five-year-old that the pip is, you know, the thing that then grows the tree. So I disappeared. I nicked the whole bag. I went up to my bedroom and I <laughs> ate every single cherry. And not only did I eat every cherry, but I actually with using my mouth, very industrially cleaned every single cherry. So they were, there was no bits, straggles and stuff. And then I, I put them out on my windowsill to dry. <laughs> and then a day later, I gathered them all up and I put them in this little pull tin. And then without even telling my parents, you know, but this was like the seventies, right? Some kids are like, you're off for the day and you come back and then where have you been? I, I disappeared off. And apparently my mum then hears over the next week, all these stories from the neighbours who had paid, I think, 10p <laughs> for a, for a, a cherry tree seed or a cherry tree pip. And apparently I went around and, and they couldn't, they really couldn't turn me down. They were like this, this little cute kid in shorts. And I was so apparent, I was so like with my, I had my sales pitch down and 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 they just couldn't turn me down. And I made a ton. I like I was in Beano's for months. Honestly, it was amazing. <laughs> and another piece of the puzzle falls Ex into place. Exactly. So that's where it all started. <laughs> but it made me think, Mark. I think there's a lot of people that did this as kids. I want people to tell us about, especially if you're if you sold stories to your neighbours, or what's the weirdest thing that you ever tried to sell or did sell to neighbours when you were younger, or even even as an adult. Because we used to. We used to wash cars. We used to yeah. me and a me and a friend used we got a bucket and a sponge and a chamois lever and we go door to door. Like, Have your car washed, mate. In fact, there was um near us in Leatherhead in Surrey, 
there was a TV personality, a guy called Ray Allen. He was a ventriloquist who had a, a oh, puppet called Lord Charles. Do you remember? Yes. And I he was like this him, posh yeah. puppet. And he was, oh, he's sloshed. Um, and we knocked on his door and said, uh, what's, what's your car, governor? Sort of thing. And he was very polite. He said, no, thank you. I've just had it cleaned. And of course, it was a Rolls Royce. <laughs> like he's, like he's going to let these two snotty nine-year-olds loose on his roller, you know, <laughs> with anyone, sponge. Anyone who's <laughs> ever had their car cleaned by kids would know that that dropped sponge on the travel driveway costs you more than you can ever imagine like a year's worth of petrol because i remember i remember two kids doing that yeah it was like all the way and they were there really enthusiastically cleaning the car and they literally scratched the whole car up nightmare but anyway if you do have a story about selling something maybe you sold uh, stories at school we should probably extend it to schools because all kinds of random stuff goes on around locker rooms we want to hear from you because we want to do little, some little vignettes and features on this. So pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com, click on the contact us form and uh, and send us your stories that way. It'd be brilliant. Now, talking, this is a very, very kind of like business-led uh, week, isn't it? Money back guarantees, Mark. I never, yes. I never thought, I didn't really, I thought that was just a, a kind of a, you know, a quote from someone who's, who's saying it's such a great book. But this is you've worked in publishing. You worked in publishing for many yeah, years. Yeah, we did. This was a did, real thing, right? When I was at when I was at Headline, uh, we did we did a few of them then, and I think we did a couple at Orion as well. And it's not something you do frequently because, in terms of the legal terms and conditions, it needs to be watertight. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, we did them a few times where you'd. Um, you know, you'd have a maybe a debut novelist who you're trying to make an impact, and you say they're as good as X or your money back. And that gets people picking the book up. You have a very sort of strict time limit on, you know, when people have to get back to you by. Uh, but I tell you what, very few people bother claiming that money. Very few people. And, and that's why publishers do it. They do it. Yeah. People have to, you know, they have to fill out a form and then send a proof of purchase and blah, 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 blah. Do you blah, know blah. what it reminds me of? It's like those things on the cereal packets. Yeah. Five pounds of petrol voucher or get this yeah. free thing. And and then and nowadays you've actually now got to log in, you've got to fill out a form, you've got to register, you've got to take a photo of the receipt to prove that you purchased mm. it. Because I thought of a little funny thing that people could do with that money back thing is if they didn't have a time limit on it, you could go and find the biggest selling the biggest selling flops. You go to every secondhand bookshop in the world, pick up the pick up the novel for like 50p and then get your 10 quid back or your 20 quid on back. Yeah. There's, 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 always, there's always a time limit on I these know. things. Um, so yeah, we used to do them quite a bit and it was an interesting marketing uh, thing that was very much in fashion for a short while and then it sort of stopped. I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen any recently. I mean, I'm sure it still goes on. But um, I mean, this was... This was pre-Kindle, actually, so maybe that's why. That was, you know, because you've got that. It's all coming back through the retailer, so you, I doubt you could do it with an ebook because then you've got Amazon going, hang on, why are all these people claiming refunds on this ebook? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was it was something that we did for a while, and um, but, yeah, very few people actually took you up on the offer. It was, it was a really interesting phenomenon. Yeah, fantastic. Now, We've got so much more we want to talk about. And there's more around the value of your worth and your value as an author. We want to talk about the value of your unreleased stories in the extended version of this podcast. Um, how Alan uh, uses different collections to to make different, different new launches with novellas, for example. Um, how to read your book like a reader, we'll discuss. And also the steep learning curve of self-publishing. So if you're thinking of self-publishing, that 
that alone be worth it just to kind of listen to. And then finally, we're going to discuss the value of a brilliant title, which Alan really inspired us about. So if you would like to listen to the extended version of this podcast, it's uh, available to all supporters of this show, uh, all patrons and all people in the Bestseller Academy. So pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support to find out how to get access to the extended version of this podcast. So Mark, we've been doing a, a series of interviews of members of the Academy and their journey to writing their book and the things they found valuable. And this week we're chatting with a, well, a, a long time Academy member, uh, absolutely lovely, lovely person, Sandra Hunter. Yes, Sandra is, well, she's just a joy, an absolute joy. Uh, so here's a, me chatting with Sandra about her time in the Academy. Sandra Hunter, what a delight to see you. I'd love to talk to you about the Academy and how things have worked out for you at the Academy. First of all, what were your big writing challenges before you joined the Academy? Oh, thank you for having me, Mark. Um, well, the, my first novel, I, I Write Fantasy, was written over a period of six years. Um, I had no particular expectations at the time. I, I wrote when I could, and it was a relaxed work of joy. However, once I published, I was gripped with the realization that I wanted to achieve a degree of success. Mm. I wanted to find the readers who would enjoy my writing. Um, however, the common wisdom I've heard since is that in the fantasy genre, you must ideally produce trilogies. Right. And this is in order to get truly noticed and create a following. So suddenly the pressure was on. Um, and then in 2020, a close family member developed serious health issues. And of course, COVID put its blanket on all of us. Mm. Um, and my previous happy writing energy had strangely evaporated. And there didn't seem to be any act of will of mine that could just summon it back. Mm. Uh, I just felt overwhelmed by everything happening on the home front and the world at large. Um, somehow sitting down to write now felt like a lonely struggle. Mm. Um, and then in the summer of 2020, I was introduced to the idea of the new bestseller Academy and invited to join. <laughs> so um, the, the Academy enriched my writing life immediately and in so many ways. Well, let's, uh, let, let's talk about how has the Academy helped you as, as a writer? Well, most importantly for me, um, I discovered a whole community of other writers, and guess what? I learned that many are experiencing the same or very similar challenges, both personally and, and with their work in progress. And I was no longer lonely. The joy of putting together a great story, or at least the story that's in me to tell, is re-emerging. Right. And um, I just find the Academy's presence in my life is truly a lifeline as a writer. And um, there's so many different parts of the Academy that I particularly enjoy. Well, do you have a favourite? This is the thing. Do you have a favourite part of the Academy? Oh, well, um, a favourite. My very favourite is actually the live coaching sessions. Right. <laughs> um, it's a way of of meeting the others in the academy. It's a way of getting a feel for the personalities. And um, I learned by way of the live coaching sessions um, that I wasn't bad or lazy or an imposter. I was just stuck. 
and right. all the tools and support I need in order to find the joy again are here in the academy. Um, I always come away from the coaching sessions feeling uplifted and encouraged. And uh, in general, I find the coaches and the other academies are amazing and supportive, whether it's in the forums or elsewhere on the campus. So um, that had to be my very favorite. Oh, that's wonderful. Can that's I have just a favorite. Can I? Have oh a yeah. Favorite too? Don't don't let me stop you. Go for it. Uh, no, the courses are great. Um, I love learning, um, but you can get a bit overwhelmed with all the how to do books. Mm. And I, I do realize that the best how to do is just get on with it. But I love to learn, and I found the courses our our bestseller roadmap were wonderfully laid out. And each course was relevant to a stage of our progress in writing and or planning our novel right from beginning to end. So I actually enjoyed doing them. And I printed out my study sheets and worked on them as they related to my book, my path. And they keep they live in a binder, which I do go back and review as I need to, which is quite often. So um, those are those are really important tools to me. And uh I'm, I'm very, very happy to be here. I'm glad I oh. made that big decision. We're, we're, we're just delighted to have you in, in the Academy. You've become such a valuable member of, of the community. Tell us, uh, now you mentioned you've got one book out already. I know you're working on the second in a series. Tell, tell us about your, your, your books, your work. Um, okay. I, I write fantasy under the name of Sandra A. Hunter. I have two novels currently available on Amazon. Um, one is an urban fantasy titled Daughter of Earth and Fire. Um, It's about dragon shifters who, in their human form, run an airport at a local regional airport. Um, I have a medieval alternate earth fantasy titled The Guardian Forest, which features a sentient forest as a prominent character, with my protagonist as the only one as yet who can hear its voice. Um, So I'm currently working on book two and three of the Guardian Forest series, and um, I've also published some short stories and poetry. I'm a member of SF Canada and live on Vancouver Island on Canada's West Coast. Wonderful. So lots of oceans and forests always in my my work. <laughs> and I've been lucky enough to read your stuff and it's be- beautifully written. It is really evocative. So uh, it's wonderful stuff. Sandra, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me t- t- today. And I know I'll be speaking to you again very soon because we've got craft coaching in a minute, haven't we? I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Mark. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> and folks, I've put a link in the show notes so you can check out Sandra's writing. Uh, and it is definitely worth checking out. I, Like I said, I've had the, the privilege of reading her stuff and it's it's really, really good. Yeah, we interviewed Shannon Mayer, didn't we, very, very early on. And a lot of people uh, are now very familiar with Shannon's work out in the world. Uh, I think she's sold, well, she's millions of books sold. Um, and, and I remember her chatting with her and she was telling me about this writer, Sandra Hunter. She was saying her stuff's absolutely brilliant. And, and it was so interesting listening to Sandra's kind of journey of um, building that, rebuilding that, that love that she talked mm. about the joy of putting things together. And it was, it was interesting because people forget that it's not just about the challenges necessarily of writing and the stories, but it's about feeling alone, that lonely journey that she had. Yeah. And I think it's, I can't, I can't mention that enough. And hearing her say that the Academy was like a lifeline for her, um, I think that's one of the reasons why it was so important to set up this community so that, um, because some, a lot of times that pathway of loneliness, of struggle, that ends in people giving up writing and then Mm. regrets throughout their life of, oh, I wish I'd written that book. Why didn't I put that book out? 
Um, yeah. So it was absolutely brilliant to um, to hear. So thank you so much as well to to Sandra for sharing her kind of journey with us. And if it's inspired you, if you feel if you're in that kind of place where Sandra's, then don't forget to check out the academy. It's at academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. So Mark wins on and social media this week. Well, let's start with Sandra Hunter. Um, <laughs> Sandra, Sandra got in touch. Uh, she said she posted on on uh, on the Facebook group. She said some views from our semi-annual writers retreat on the Stamp River, Vancouver Island. So that's just up the road from you, Mister D. Is, yeah. uh, a great gathering of writer buddies. There's eleven of us on this trip. Everyone has their goals set this week. Uh, from everything, and, so, and she's put these photos of this gorgeous log cabin there are deer there's a roaring fire and she said i wish you guys could join us here well sandra i i, I am available if you want to if someone can stump up for the flights and everything <laughs> i'll happily run uh and a you know a, 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 a retreat for you guys absolutely it looks absolutely gorgeous but seriously that looks great uh, Do you know what, Mark? you've been, you've been I, on this one haven't i've you? been on that retreat twice yeah, actually yeah. because um as part of a local writing group that i'm a part of it is one of my favorite places in the world uh, at the end of the at the end of the big garden, I mean, it's like it's, it's I think twenty bedrooms or something, but it's this, like you say, log cabin. But at the very end, you walk all the way down to the end of the garden when you need a little break from a difficult you know, like chapter that you've just finished. Mm. And there's this this river, which is the inlet. Uh, well, it's it's a inlet which runs by with, and you can sit there and watch enormous salmon jumping out of the water oh, really? you can even grab your fish oh it's just it's everything you can imagine about canadian stereotypes but it's there so yeah it's um retreats are fantastic and uh, mm. i'd love i'd love to be able to do more of, more of those and um hey maybe one day down the road mark we'll try and we'll maybe host one yeah there. who knows who knows, who knows? yeah fantastic um, we, we've had uh, a little win from Gareth Lewis. Uh, so he says he's won the self-pubcon first line competition. Uh, I can't remember who mentioned it. Can't find the post, but a big thank you for bringing it to my attention. This sort of thing, you know, little competitions that we put on the BXP group. Didn't expect to win anything. Hadn't really looked at the prizes, uh, but some of these prizes require contact with other people, which is triggering my social anxiety. You know, you feel there. Uh, but uh, yeah, fantastic. Congrats on that, Gareth. Uh, uh, first, I mean, first line competition. That's hard, isn't it? That's Talking about brilliant. grabbing readers, but getting them with the first line. But congrats yeah. on that, Gareth. Um, we've had a declaration from David Hensley on social media. I'm submitting to writers of the future while simultaneously trying to write and sell my first novel. So my goal is to go professional before I can place in the writers of the future. So good luck with that, David. Uh, fingers crossed for you on that. And Jeff White, long-time supporter of the podcast as well. Jeff, uh, he says, I'm putting the final touches on my freelance copywriting and content, content marketing website. Uh, I've been going around in circles with the design. So he's asked us to go in there and check it out and give him some feedback, which we've doing. But if you're looking for a freelance copy and content writer or someone to check out the SEO on on your website go to jeffwritescopy.com i'll pop a link in the show notes and this is just one of these things if you're a writer and you're trying to earn some extra money on the side things like copywriting and design and all that kind of stuff it's uh you know it's it's more than a hustle it could be an absolute lifeline yeah absolutely brilliant stuff well thank you so much to everyone for sending us all of your stories if you have any wins that you would like to share with us pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com click on the contact us 
form and fill it out. Mark and I look at that, everyone that comes through. And whilst you're there, click on the newsletter tab to sign up to the Bestseller Experiment newsletter, where you'll get weekly notifications of what's happening in Bestseller HQ, the interviews we've got coming up, um, what we've learned from the previous interviews we've done. And, and also whilst you're there as well, check out the 200 word challenge, uh, 200wordchallenge.com to start your habit of a writing life. And Mr. Stay, how can people find out more about us on socials? We are Facebook Bestseller Experiment and Twitter and Instagram is at Bestseller XP. So drop us a line there. Let us know what's going on in your writing week. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your podcast catcher or give us a rating or a review. It'd be much appreciated. And thanks as always to our editors, Dave and JD. Absolutely. So it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.